You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm Victor, and joining me is William. William, thank you for so much for being here. Oh, that's very nice. Thank you. It, wait, 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 wait a minute. What? Uh, have you broken something? Is that why you're suddenly being nice? Your chair. Are you Your responsible for my yeah, my chair, my chair, my chair? Okay. Yeah. Now, I want to point out, we, we've had sponsors on this show in the past, and we've read their, their sponsorship ad reads and been very happy about that. But if you have a product, if you have a service, if you're out there listening and joining us, and thank you so much for doing it every week, we'd like to help share that. Can you please contact us, and we can talk about sponsorship opportunities? Go ahead and email victor at appleinsider.com, or even better, email william at appleinsider.com, and we'll go ahead and sort that all out. All right. We'd love I to help spread the word about, about good services, wouldn't we? Well, that bit I like. It's just suddenly uh, I feel all responsible. <laughs> Wait a minute. It's your show. I just come in while Mike's oh, not available. William. Well, he's not available a lot recently. My dear I, friend. I'm, I'm very grateful to him for that. You, you've never been that responsible. It's okay. Uh, I was. <laughs> uh, I, can't, oh, I can't tell you this, but I've started. Oh. A certain extremely high-profile charity in the UK asked me to be their treasurer, and I spat out my tea when they said <laughs> it, uh, because of the idea of me being in charge of anyone's finances was uh, uh, ludicrous. Um, Clearly laughable, yeah. I was, yeah, deeply honoured to be asked, actually, so I wish I could have helped them. But there we go. Yes, they'd be out of business by now if they if I had. Yes. Yeah. So uh, I have uh, several broken chairs in a row. Uh, that's what's going on with me, and I'm not fiscally responsible. Other than that, uh, hi. Hi. How are you doing? Fantastic. Ow, ow, ow. You know, I want to talk. We just mentioned good products that we want to talk about. So one of my favorites are the applications by Serif Labs Affinity. They yes. have they have Affinity Photo. They have Affinity Designer, which I use all the time. Literally, I am drawing stuff day and night. I was never that good with Illustrator. I didn't really understand how to do Bezier curves or or modify shapes or or uh, use uh, Boolean logic to combine shapes. And using Affinity Designer has been revealing for me. The scales have fallen from my eyes. I love the product. I really do. And I'm not quite as good with Affinity Photo. I still stumble around in that quite a bit. But uh, I've been using their Affinity Publisher product in beta. And it was in beta for quite a long time. And some, some disreputable lout on Apple Insider wrote a piece about how Affinity Publisher has launched out of public beta and is now available in, in regular release. Well, so everybody can buy it. How dare this scoundrel break the news like that? I think he who, should who be was a that? good talking to. Who was that? Okay, it was slightly me. Um, but, you know, uh, it was factually correct, so I don't see... Actually, <laughs> actually, there is an error. If you look at the article oh, really? on Apple Insider, the first screenshot yeah. is a lovely screenshot of Affinity Publisher. What does the caption say to that? Do you know? Uh, well, I wrote it, so I should know. Uh, it says, oh, that's dreadful. It says okay. Affinity Photo has come out of its extended beta. <laughs> there you go. You write the review, you write the whole release, and then caption it wrong. Uh, actually, I think you find you are mistaken there. Uh, you're totally wrong. Um, 
I really can't imagine. Is that typing sounds you think you hear there? I don't know why. <laughs> Would that be the update that? button being pressed right now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, tiny, tiny bit. Yeah, okay. I'm glad we opened this discussion and, 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 and got it out. Everywhere. So let me talk Affinity about... Affinity Publisher. Let me talk about excellent. Publisher. I was very impressed, but tell me more. Okay. So years and years and years ago, I used a product called PageMaker. And oh. PageMaker was an Adobe product. Well, it was an Aldous product first. Mm. And used to use that, uh, gosh, ages ago when I was doing the, the school newspaper when I was a student. And that was, that was when it was all this. And then we used it at IBM when I worked at IBM under uh, an internal product that Adobe had built out of PageMaker called FrameMaker. Oh, good grief. FrameMaker. Frame two, it, well, well it wasn't Frame FrameMaker Maker was public, wow. but they renamed it Frame 2000 specifically for IBM. Oh, okay. Which right. was, was wild. So I used Frame and Frame 2000 there. And then I graduated to InDesign. I started using InDesign actually, I want to say 1999 or 2000. And at one point, I was even teaching InDesign to high school students around 2005. So I have a long history of this sort of desktop publishing kind of thing. And along the way, touched Quark Express and so forth. And Publisher has been such a joy to use. It really is. I mean, it's it's... It's so familiar and it's so comfortable feeling. And I know that's a bad way of describing things, but there are only a few things that I ever have filed bug reports on. There are only a few feature Sorry. requests I ever submitted during the public beta process. Do you mean that it's familiar and comfortable because you know other affinity apps or is it? It's not a knockoff of uh, InDesign. That's not how you know it, is it? Well, it's not a knockoff of InDesign, but one of the things that, that you realize when you approach a product like this is that you need to have a number of the tools and a number of the functions in place in a way that doesn't feel like learning a whole new language. So, I mean, you're doing the same job uh, in two uh, things. So, yes, right. You're okay. creating a document for publication. You need to be able to have a text box. You need to be able to have image box. You need to be able to place vector oh. art. You need to be able to do these kinds of things that are common tasks, right? One of the cool sure. things about Publisher is that it has personas integrated into it. So it's got the photo persona and the design persona. So even if you're in Publisher, if you have those other applications installed, you can go and click on that and then edit objects directly within Publisher using those personas. Which is great. That is so handy. I, don't, I, I, I now have Publisher because, of course, you can't review it without having it and trying it out. I don't have the other apps, and I'm nowhere near as familiar with them as you. But uh, I like very much the stuff you get from only having Publisher. See, I'm, I'm in the reverse boat. I have the Publisher beta, which didn't have the persona functionality enabled. And I have Designer and Photo. Hmm. We should get together sometime. I think so. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll okay. pop over for tea. Uh, I would like to point out, though, that one of the good things about the Adobe suite is that once you've learned, say, Photoshop, the, the keystrokes, the shortcuts, most of the positions, it's Illustrator and InDesign are very familiar. In fact, I taught myself in design uh, partly that way, partly because I was working at uh, Radio Times magazine, where they used it a lot. Um, I love InDesign, so I would be very happy to carry on using it, but Publisher has certain benefits, doesn't it, to do with, well cost really right so when you buy into indesign these days you're you're buying a subscription and some people like that oh. because you know it's very it simplifies their life they don't have to think about it as a burdensome cost mm -hmm. they can just go ahead and pay a little bit every month and always have an up-to-date application 
I would argue this Quark Express, of course, which I, th I believe Quark does have a subscription model, but you can also buy it outright. And uh, a, a friend who was a publisher was actually funded uh, to do a, a new business. And because of the terms of the funding and her requirement to report back about the funding, the one-off purchase was far better for her. So she went for Quark. Um, I, she seems very happy with it. So that's worked out. Yeah, and people tend to go for Quark if they have a legacy need if all your archives oh. are in quark you need to stick with quark right no. changing your I've, whole workflow I realized i have used quark I, I thought i hadn't but i remembered one magazine must have been on uh quark but um it's so long ago i certainly don't have any files from there so i'm free i could use anything i like you are you are and you know i i like affinity publisher very much and I am looking forward to it. You know, it seems like they're going to be releasing an iPad version, I, I suspect. Yes, isn't that brilliant? Because there's no InDesign uh, on iPad yet. That's just going to be so useful for me. Yeah, looking forward to that. I'll buy that the moment that's out. Yes. Absolutely. Well, yeah. that's that's what I wanted to say about Affinity. Is I just love Serif Labs. I'm really happy with the products. I like the idea and the feeling that I get that I can just be a, a one-time payment licensee until the next version and be good to go. And, you know, I, I know people like the Adobe model, uh, but I've, I've run into pros that have used Adobe and run up against that subscription model because having version changes happen on them breaks things. And with Adobe, you have difficulty reverting to prior versions, especially if they've retracted those prior versions completely. Which they are now doing more of. Um, and although they won't state it, we've covered this on Apple Insider, uh, you used to be able to go back to old versions or stay on to older versions. And now it's only, I think it's one because of a legal dispute and various other issues. So I'd actually forgotten all about that. That's uh, a key part. Yeah. I mean, uh, you've used Publisher extensively throughout the beta process. Um, I'm at a day into it. I, I like it very much, but I actually have a magazine product project coming up that I would ordinarily have gone to uh, my client's InDesign account to do it, but I'm going to try it in Publisher. Because I, I really think the way you learn something is by using it in anger for an actual product, <laughs> an actual result. Um, yeah, it just when you know the need, I've got to get it to look like this. How do I do it? And then that gets into me more than, you know, reading the help files or something. So looking forward to doing that for fun. Absolutely. Yay. As a neat trick, you know, go ahead and the, the, the bug that I ran up into, the well, the feature that I wanted, it's not a bug, the feature that I wanted is when you change things outside of Publisher, uh, it recognizes that the linked file has changed. And the dialogue that comes up says, hey, the links file has changed. And, and it's, that's kind of it. So I had to locate where the resource manager was and then update everything manual. And I would have appreciated if that dialogue had said, hey, things have updated. Do you want to ignore this? Or would you like to go ahead and update the linked resources or even just open the resource manager? Because if you give a dialogue, go ahead and make it actionable directly from the dialogue. And that's that's the request that I put in for that. Okay. So that was my one contribution <laughs> during the beta process. I had a few other thoughts, but that was the one that I remember vividly. And have they done it? Uh, I am not commenting because I am still open. When I open Publisher, I'm still opening the beta product. Right. It's silly, isn't it? We tend to, I mean, I say we as journalists tend to use beta, but there's lots of public beta press. Um, this one was public as well. I, I find I occasionally run into problems that I'm suddenly, I'm, I find out I'm still using the beta, even though I've bought the original one. I just haven't downloaded it to this device. And uh, betas, some of them time out. So suddenly I find I can't do any work because I've been thick and not updated properly. 
That's guy. It's a terrible problem, isn't it? I don't know how the world copes with this. <laughs> yeah, the, all. the the world uh, of Apple Insider journalists that copes with it. Yeah, exactly. It's bigger than that, you know. It's huge, really. Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of uh, things, so, speaking of things that are bigger than that. So we published an article. Amber over at our site published an article about her hands-on experience with Cycle, which is Apple's new menstrual mm. cycle tracker in iOS 13. Yes, it was a good piece. And I. I I actually thought watching the keynote, all the stuff about the watch, uh, menstrual cycle was the only really big new thing. I mean, I like the other stuff, but that's the one that felt like it was important. Well, so this has been an area of Apple health that has been missing for years. Yeah. I mean, you've had Apple health for ages upon ages upon ages, and it has never addressed this. And that's 50% of the population. Yes. To be fair, I don't think Apple's the only one that haven't been doing it. But uh, if men had periods, I don't think it would take till Watch OS 6 to get this into it. But yeah. it's here now, and Amber's uh, piece uh, is really thorough, says how good it is. It, so. it really is. you know. And I, I've experimented with these different applications in the past just because I want to have insight into what the, the application support is like. You know, what is the interface like? What are the important parts of tracking or not tracking? And and what are the outcomes, right? You know, are you are you looking what what are you looking to get out of it? And you know, the old way would be for uh, a gynecologist to hand you a piece of paper that looks basically like a calendar chart and you write down which days were were heavier or lighter or which days were were more pain or less pain or or things like that. And people are terrible at record keeping. Mm-hmm. I mean just lousy at it give me a piece of paper, try and write down something and come back and show you what my records were like. No, I'm not keeping a good log of anything like that. And I I just know myself. And so having applications that can prompt you and ask you to record how you felt or how things were, and then calculate a prediction around when the next instance of the cycle is going to take place is really helpful. You know, just to be able to have that conversation with the doctor and say, well, here's what my record actually looks like, goes a long way for diagnosis and monitoring conditions. Um, You know, fertility tracking is, it comes into play because you can use it to calculate a a fertile window, which is, is very helpful. And if you're trying to become parents, there's a lot of, of things in there. Now this is just obviously the first version. So it's going to be interesting to see how it develops. Uh, yes, I completely agree, uh, and I like what we see of it so far. I'm just—it's fascinating to me how much uh, uh, health work Apple is doing. Is it? Am I making this up? Or did Tim Cook once say something like Apple will rem- be remembered for health more than it is the iPhone, or something along those lines? And if I'm not crazy and making this stuff up, I believe that. I yeah. I don't remember that one, but what I do remember is that they have something like fifty or more doctors on staff. They have a dedicated health lab. Yes. They are making big strides in this. And of course, you know, yay for Apple. But as Apple demonstrates the success of the market, you know, Android and whatever, Huawei comes up, Huawei, 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 how are you? Whatever they come up with. Yeah, (laughs) I'm fine. How Uh, are you? (laughs) Whatever they come up with, uh, it will do the same thing as well. And that means everybody gets it or at least something like it. So that's just brilliant. Better for everyone. Yes. Yeah. Everybody wins. Does. Speaking of wins, there is a company, uh, I believe in England, called Cano. And Cano started a few years ago with 
Raspberry Pi software, basically. And and what you'd oh, get right. from them was you could either download the Raspberry Pi software yourself onto your own Raspberry Pi, or you could uh, could get a Cano kit. And the Cano kit was a Pi with a case and a speaker, and you'd connect your own keyboard and screen. And it would teach you rudimentary coding. You know, it's how do you spell Cano? K A N O. Oh, no wonder I don't know them yet. I've been talking to every single company in the UK ever, uh, but doing it alphabetically. That's where I've been going wrong. Well, that's why I've never heard of them. Clearly, okay. But now, spoilers. You've told me the K's. Yeah. Uh, okay. And so. the the initial stuff was a little bit clunky and slow to use on old pies, and and didn't work really well. Uh, although there were definitely people who were using it and enjoying it. I, I kept reloading it periodically, but could never really get my kids to, to enjoy it for more than 30 minutes at a time. Right. Then they went ahead and licensed the uh, the Harry Potter property and built a wand with an accelerometer in it <laughs> and, a, and a gyroscope. Excellent. And so you could program the wand to do different things with applications. So when you <laughs> shake the wand at the screen, items on the screen lift up and so forth. Brilliant. Okay. And now they have partnered with Microsoft to create a thing called the Cano PC, which is an 11-inch touchscreen tablet that docks on a keyboard. And there's still an assembly part to it because you have the, the main board that contains all the stuff, but you have to connect the battery and connect the speaker and, uh, and, and make some other connections to it and then put a case on it. It's, it's not nearly as... Uh, cool as doing the Raspberry Pi stuff, but, you know, it's also approachable. You know, anyone can plug stuff in, so you, you want things that are achievable. The Cano PC is going to be available for pre-order for $300 and will ship to the U.S., Canada, and U.K. on October 21st. Now, the question, is this going to eat iPad sales? Well, it does run Windows 10. It, it uses 1.4 gigahertz quad-core Intel Atom with 4 gig of RAM and 64 gig of storage that you can, of course, expand with a micro SD card. It, it's got Wi-Fi, it's got USB ports, it's got Bluetooth, it's got an audio jack, it's got a keyboard case. And just like Cano does, it's, it's got software that teaches how computers work, it teaches computer architecture, creating emoji with binary code, and it's got Cano projects so you can you know, make drawings with, uh, with MIT Scratch kind of language. In the old days on the Raspberry Pi stuff, they had Minecraft with JavaScript lessons where you'd be running a Minecraft for Raspberry Pi version on it and then break into the console and edit your Minecraft world with code, which was pretty cool. And so this is the kind Sorry, of... Go on, go on. I'm still going back to the wand bit. The only regret I have about Apple Pay on the watch is that I use it now to go through the London Underground system. And it used to be that on that and on buses, there were some people who had... Uh, we used to have a thing called an Oyster card, what we still have. But it was a credit card side thing with typically a tiny little... Um, chip on it whatever you call that and they used to stick that on the end of a wand so that they could walk through the london underground with a wand and just point at where they wanted and that was just style that was british wit i actually liked that oh yes anyway sorry you're talking more serious things and i'm lamenting the whole lack of harry potter london underground. I <laughs> do think you, I do just you shut still run at the brick barriers between the uh, the platforms to see if you can go into the three quarters platform i only did that once thanks for bringing it up <laughs> there was a vending machine there though so ah, i profited i knew there was you also profited a nice bump on your head uh spend a bump get a mars bar there you go deal 
this is not medically advisable recommendations from the Apple Insider podcast. Please consult your doctor if you have wall issues. <laughs> you were saying. Right. Change gears entirely. Let's talk about Catalyst. Oh, yes. Yes. Sorry. Catalyst. Uh, I don't know what I was thinking of there. Uh, probably catalytic converters. That's what they should call this. No. Uh, an a yes. No. So Apple. No. Call it a catalytic converter. No. Yay. So okay. what about Catalyst? Well, Catalyst is a tool set that eases the transition of iOS apps back to the Macintosh. It sort of bridges the gap so that you can use your UI kit based iOS code on a Mac. And you know, we, we've seen that, that Apple's working on doing that for news, stocks, voice memos, and home. That was, that was what we saw with uh, Mojave. But there's evidence that suggests that macOS Catalina is going to have messages and shortcuts for Mac. Now, we oh, knew that shortcuts for Mac was going to exist because they showed us that in the keynote. But it appears that they're doing it using Catalyst. Oh, I see. Oh, now I have Catalina on my old iMac. It just takes a very long time to open it. Um, I'm just going to start that up. And in about an hour's time, I'll be able to... Will I be able to find anything and actually use it? No. Too soon? Don't know. Too soon? Don't know. Well, so okay. the Catalyst version of Messages is something that was revealed by Stephen Trout and Smith. He said, there's a whole lot of evidence in Catalina they're working on a full Catalyst version of Messages, much like Shortcuts for Mac. So just like Shortcuts, I decided to cut the chase and do it myself by calling the system frameworks. Voila. And he shows screenshots of messages looking very much like the iOS version with all of the screen effects, which previously haven't been possible to do on a, on a Mac. I gotta say, I'm less fussed about messages because I've got it right here in front of me. I find it very handy to reply to it. But, uh, and actually, as much as I like the odd firework thing every now and again, I don't care. Well, um, the, the mistake I that you're making here, they there. is that if you have the Catalyst version from iOS, then you also get the Messages App Store. So if you use other features of Messages, whether they're third-party or not, ah. then those come back as well. I see where you're going with that, but rather than a mistake, I would call that uh, a positive choice. The oversight you're making. Not care. <laughs> the uh, Even though you've told it to me, I, I'm trying to think uh, what uh, attachments you use. I mean, I know if you tend to use them, you use them a lot. Uh, so I'm not dissing that thing but i'm thinking uh, i've used uh, there's a, a direction thing a, a location finder called where to app a very nice app on ios i've used that to send you know, directions to a friend when we're meeting up somewhere but that's it once in a, a blue moon uh, and at my mac i've got everything else in front of me i can send them a link as easily so for me uh the messages yep yeah, great fine already got everything i need siri shortcuts on the mac oh so what, you're, like what you're saying, what you're saying is that you don't need messages to do anything more on the Mac than it does today. All you need it to do yep. is send a text message. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, yes, that would be it. Uh, I've considered this for several seconds now, and yes, that's it. Hey, I'm nothing against messages. I just uh, it's a what it is is fine with me, um, and Siri shortcuts is exciting me. So tell me about Siri Shortcuts. You know more about this than me. What's going on? When we're going to have it? Can we do everything on it? What's going on? Is it brand new? Is it going to replace Automator? What's happening there? You are breathless today. So is AppleScript in danger? <laughs> I, I well, AppleScript is so deeply embedded in stuff. I would think that it would be hard for it to be in danger. Although it certainly seems like it was in, in question when they began to introduce JavaScript into AppleScript editor. 
Right. I remember Microsoft's managed to toss uh, uh, AppleScript out of Word several years ago and yes. eventually got it back in. So yeah. mm-hmm. Automator, I think, is the one that's more likely to be replaced because Automator is, is very much akin to shortcuts in that you stack different elements against each other to create a, uh, an automation. And, of course, you can mm. save that as something that you can drag and drop on, like, an application, or you can you can use it in the Automator interface. There are all kinds of little ways to do it. It's a nice thing. Shortcuts feels kind of similar, but in some ways more powerful. And with iOS 13 and with macOS 10.15, Catalina, Shortcuts, first of all, comes to the Mac, which is nice because big screen and keyboard make it easier to use. Uh, chapping on shortcuts to create them in, in iPhone is just difficult. Wait, 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 wait. You can't handle Siri shortcuts on the phone because it's small. You're old, mister. No, I'm Your not. Your eyesight's clearly going. It's not the eyesight. Oh, right. It's it's the tap targets he are really small. He can dish it, but and he can't take it. The other, okay. part, the other part of this is that with iOS 12 Siri shortcuts, the variables don't really tell you what they expect or, or what's possible. So there's no guidance for helping you create a shortcut, especially if it's your first time doing it. With, 10, with iOS 13 and 10.15, Mac OS 10.15, you get guidance. You get the, uh, the the shortcut letting you know what inputs and outputs are acceptable here so that you can go ahead and make the thing with a lot more ease. Okay, we'll go along with that. I mean, uh, I could, I've not had the problems with variables, but I, I realize sometimes when you're really deep in the weeds, trying to keep track of which particular nugget of a variable it will pull out for you. That's taking me a time to understand. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and if you're doing simple short things that are only a few uh, few elements long, that's not bad. But if you end up with some monstrous ones like I've seen that are, are 60 and 70 elements long, it gets nightmarish. I think uh, 20 or... Th- no, th- I've, I've hit 30 steps in a shortcut before. Yeah. Yes, my name is William and I'm a series shortcuts user. You are. You absolutely are. Oh, yes. Now, the thing that I was thinking about... We, we talk a lot about Catalyst. I've been trying to figure out for myself what I think the way forward is for iOS and Mac development. And it, it occurs to me that Catalyst is, is sort of a patch. It it's allows iOS apps to come to the Mac, which is good, mm. undoubtedly good, especially if you've been writing iOS apps for some time. But if you never really wrote a whole lot of iOS apps, but you did focus on the Mac... It doesn't make a lot of sense for your path to be using Catalyst because then you'd have to go and learn how to use UIKit and, and write iOS apps and then bring them to the Mac. So this is where I think things get interesting. Swift UI goes ahead and makes it easier to develop interface code with fewer errors, delivering more features using Swift. And I think that's the sea change, is that within a few years, I, I would say Swift UI takes over. Okay. Uh, I've been talking to developers about Catalyst and Swift UI, and certainly some of them are saying exactly that. Yes, I don't think I really appreciate quite what Swift UI gives them, um, but well, it's, they seem very excited about it's it. It's a declarative UI, and and what that means is that you're it's it's another layer on top of things, so another layer distant from the metal of things. So what happens is you write what you want to happen, write what the UI is going to be, and you don't have to write it for specific hardware. Underneath that is is what's called a DSL, and I forget the exact acronym, but basically that's it's a descriptor language that understands the different outputs and then takes the UI and compiles it for those output devices. 
So you write your Swift UI and then use the uh, the DSL to go ahead and create the output target. You you currently would be using it for, you know, a DSL for Apple TV, a DSL for phones, a DSL for iPad OS, and then for Mac. But there's no reason why you couldn't also have a DSL for the web as an output or for Android devices as an output and write SwiftUI to those. Okay, as long as SwiftUI is good, then that's brilliant. I mean, this this if was rubbish. the whole philosophy of Java, right? Write once, run anywhere. And it was a beautiful uh, yes. goal, and it never quite exactly worked, although it, it worked to some degree. It worked enough for Microsoft to have a very good go at um, absorbing it out of existence. Yeah. You know, a- Android and Java and Windows 10 all pursued this goal of making code that scaled up and down to run across all these different devices. And all of them kind of failed along the way. Now, Java didn't fail, except that the, the Swift UI, I mean, the Oh, I'm blanking on the name of the actual UI that uh, Swing Swing ju- toolset was the uh, the interface that Java did. It was nasty, so you could have your stuff look equally bad everywhere, or you could write Java under the covers and then write a UI that was native on top of it, which is the way to go. Um, hmm. But that wasn't right once run anywhere exactly, so it sort of fell apart a little bit. With Android, you can write once and run on most Android devices, but there are wrinkles about Android devices down to screen size and other things that make them run better or less well on each device. Um, So using SwiftUI and and using this declarative stuff is a little bit more like React Native, except React Native is coming from the web and then going to devices. Here it's coming from devices and working the other direction. Okay, I can see that. So good, let's do that. One of the things everybody do that? I'm really hopeful for is Swift is currently open sourced. I'm hopeful that Swift UI becomes open sourced too, because I think that would go a long way towards spreading its adoption. Okay. Well, it's looking like it's got a very good start, but who knows how these things will yeah. play out. That's okay. Yeah. Anyway, it's it's beloved by some developers so far, and I think it can only do good things. I did. I mean, some of the developers I, I really admire the most uh, are very keen on it. I'm actually finding uh, this is not a reflection of the development industry. It's more of the apps that I tend to use, that the apps I most like, the developers I most rate, are already doing Mac and iOS things. So for them, uh, Catalyst isn't as big a deal, although they're all looking at it for various things mm-hmm. as well. But we'll mm. Yeah, like, like I said, if you're using an and if you're developing for iOS, then Catalyst makes sense to pursue. And it's not necessarily easy. It's not like there's one checkbox and bang, you've got a Mac app. You, you mm. do have to do significant amounts of work to, to make things function correctly on Mac, especially if you have a complex iOS app. But it's the easier path than starting all over in Swift. Yes. Yeah. But if you were developing a new product, then I, I would say Swift would probably be a good place to start. Well, look what they've done. Yeah. Invented a new language and a new thing to hang on the front. Cool. Okay. Are you ready for some good news? No, I'm I'm sitting in the middle of Brexit and the Tory election farce that's going on over here. Just to explain, new Prime Minister being elected, there's uh, lots of public campaigns, public have no say in it whatsoever. All right, pointless. right. So let's let's uh, be miserable. clear. Elected so, no, by I'm a small in a bad mood. Let's stick there. I mean Sorry. elected by a small small subset uh, elected by a small subset of people who are electing the leader of their party technically, but know full of well but, that <gasps> the leader whoops. of their party will go ahead and presume the prime ministership. Right. What were the odds of that? Yes. 
I mean, look, it's always been that way. We've had previous governments where this has gone on as well, and I've not been happy with that either. But this time, the candidates are being paraded like it's Britain's Got Talent or uh, America's Song Idol, whatever it's called, uh, and the worthlessness of every minute of it when they're all identical and we have no say in it anyway uh, is, is making things a little bit miserable this week, actually. So, no, I am resistant to good news, but try your best. Well, you're, you're busy looking at distinctions without a difference. I have a survey. Okay. And this this will shock you, William. This is going to shake you to your core. What, are you telling me that you're going to ask me for a survey? Or no, no, I'm going to tell you the results. I'm going to tell you the results oh, of one okay. that was conducted. Right. And you are going to be caught flat-footed. Okay, I'm bracing myself. Is this a survey in which I apparently like Windows? Because I have some issues. We know the results of that one. And, and yes, it, across the board... William Gallagher approves of Windows in every aspect. Yes. Yeah, I like doors as well, but okay. Nice. Nicely done. The, uh, especially after that incident with the, the three-quarters platform. You like doors. Yes, yes, yes. Nice call back there. Okay, <laughs> go on. Uh, we have braced, we have both braced me. Jamf. Let's, let's hit it. Jamf. Jamf, yes. Which is a technology management company in Wisconsin, conducted a survey of their customers that showed that enterprise IT workers strongly preferred Macintosh. Now, they are an Apple-focused company. They have uh, they, they make management software that helps make managing Apple products e- easier for the IT department, basically. And they have actually sponsored your show before, haven't In they? In the past, Sometimes they have sponsored when, the show. And but now they've moved on to surveys. Note, note that they do not have a sponsorship read this episode, but never mind. They, they sponsored this... Uh, Survey. So they they surveyed their customers, and the survey showed that when participants were given the choice to choose the type of device that they were allowed to use at work, 72% chose a Mac. I'm honestly surprised. I mean, I see the benefits, but um, personal preference, you would have thought it'd be 50-50, wouldn't you? I don't know. Well, so Jamf surveyed end users to figure out why they consistently choose Mac and what their experiences have been as a result of their choice. Uh, The survey was actually conducted by third-party market research company Vance & Bourne, which was contracted by Jamf in collaboration mm-hmm. with Apple. The findings reveal that Mac users experience high levels of employee satisfaction, productivity, collaboration in business sectors. Uh, it was conducted across a broad range of departments, including IT, human resources, marketing, engineering, sales, business development, and more. And Jamf for themselves have been growing. So by the end of 2018, they managed 48% more Macintosh than they did at the end of 2017. The number one reason for choosing Mac was often that users had a strong preference for Apple products. The second highest reason cited was that end users simply felt the Mac was more reliable than other computers. Okay, that seems reasonable. Now, you could suggest that this is is a little bit um, flawed as a study because Jamf manages Apple computers and they surveyed their customers. So their customers are going to have what? Apple computers. One would imagine so, yes. You know, Mm -hmm. asking the converted... What do you prefer? Well, I prefer the thing I'm using. I'm happy with it. Okay, good, nice, yeah. And and they dug a little deeper and obviously found out why people like it. Reliability, mm. ease of use, preference for user interface and design, and so forth. But when when they were asked if workers felt they'd be unable to do their job effectively without a Mac, 79% agreed. Goodness, 79%. And that okay. was... Well, uh, yes, I can see that more. That was, I'm sorry, I took you there. You were saying that was... Well, especially true in uh, human resources and IT is where that showed up. Oh, that's, I would have thought IT would be more PC-based. Just that's, um, 
uh, stereotypical based on all the IT people I've worked with over the years. Fine people tended to love Windows because they liked fixing things, really. Well, there's uh, a bit of a job preservation IT- to that, right? If you're certified True. in Windows, you know, if you've gone and done yeah. certifications and it's all you're trained on, then everything else seems strange or silly or not as good. And so once you're in there doing that, that's the thing you recommend to buy. And of course, you've got a voice in purchasing decisions because you're a stakeholder. So of course, you recommend to buy the thing that you're certified in and know. Yes, we would all do the same. Right. Yes. So that's that's how that sort of self-perpetuates. Anyway, that's I'm all I got. I just wanted if, uh, to tell you that, that Macs are more reliable to people who are already using a Mac. Well, I'm wondering about the clients that Jamf uses, because, I mean, we're talking corporate level things. You can well imagine that uh, they have lots of customers, uh, but in a corporation that has many other people who don't use Macs. So it'd be interesting to see if the IT department that we're dealing with it were also dealing with uh, Windows day to day and and still had this preference for Macs. Well, I mean, it's entirely possible, right, that they're running Windows as their servers and things in the back end. But the, so, if they're handling desktop support, they'd rather hand out Mac because they know they don't have to fool with it. Right. Yeah. Fewer calls. That makes sense. Yes. Hmm. Not job preservation, but job sanity preserving. Yes. Right. I mean, if you've got enough tickets to justify that you're keeping the servers up and don't want to fool with desktop support, that's one way of doing it. There you go. So we've just solved IT problems at corporations across the world. And Look on the that note, we'll be back next week. How about that? Excellent. Okay, Uh, how can we top this? I, um, yeah. William, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, Thank you for changing the subject there. I I know the answer to this one. I'm on Twitter as W Gallagher, but I'm also on email as William at AppleInsider.com. And if you should email me uh, about sponsorship things, I do not know how it works, but I know the person who does. So we'll sort that out. Brilliant. I'm Victor. I'm at VMarks on Twitter. Email me at victor at appleinsider.com. Thank you so much for joining us, and it's been wonderful having you here. Let's see you again next week. Bye, everybody. 